Hey, Jacob's Well Online. This is Jenna Kaiser. I'm the formation director at Jacob's Well. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. Uh, you're going to hear us finish up our Incognito series for the fourth week, um, starting right now. Well, a few a few years ago on my birthday, um, I decided I was going to pick up a new hobby for my life. I have a little bit of um, shiny object syndrome. Anybody else? Shiny object syndrome likes to pick up new things. Um, I have many half-knitted scarves all around my house, so if you've ever... If you'd ever want a half-knitted scarf for Christmas, it'll cover your knee. You can have it. Um, so one year I decided to pick up a new hobby, and that hobby was going to be to learn how to play the ukulele. If you don't know what a ukulele is, it's like a tiny guitar that pretends to be a guitar, but not really a guitar. If you play the guitar, all your skills are transferable to the ukulele. Like, you can play most of the things on the ukulele, but if you learn how to play the ukulele, none of it actually transfers to any other instrument. So it's a really useful instrument to learn how to play. So I decided I was going to learn how to play. My husband um, plays a lot of different musical instruments. He leads worship for his job, and sometimes we sing at home, and we'll play music and sing together, and it's really cute. And so I thought, if I get a ukulele, maybe we'll be this cool new hipster band, and you'll see us playing at the Acoustic Cafe downtown Eau Claire sometime um, because I'm this brilliant ukulele player all of a sudden. Um, But when I got a ukulele, despite the fact that I've learned several musical instruments in my life, um, the ukulele was a little bit of a rude awakening. I don't know how I didn't realize this, um, but stringed instruments, especially like uh, guitars, guitar-like instruments, um, actually uh, are really painful to play. When you put your fingers on the strings, um, your fingertips literally develop calluses so that you can continue playing. It's like your fingers aren't made to play the guitar, and so they just add layers of really hard skin on top so you can continue playing them. And so the same thing would happen to me when I would play the ukulele, and uh, after 10 minutes or so, I'd be like, okay, my fingers hurt, I'm done with this, okay? That was the first problem with my ukulele is that um, my fingers hurt every time I played, and it was only 10 minutes in. The second problem I had with my ukulele um, is that for some reason with guitar-like instruments, um, despite the fact that your pinkies are like, you don't need your pinkies for anything in the rest of life, when you play the guitar, you're expected to morph your hand, especially your pinky, into very strange positions, and suddenly your pinky is supposed to be strong enough to press down on these strings that already hurt your fingers. So I could not morph my fingers, and especially my pinkies, into these odd positions to play all of the good chords. Um, And... Then, uh, the third problem that I had, so one, my fingers hurt, two, my pinkies could not do it. The third problem I had was with strumming, which obviously you strum a guitar, you strum a ukulele, it's not that big of a deal. Um, But I told you my dream was that my husband and I would be this cool band, so I wanted to be able to strum and sing at the same time, which turns out is really difficult, and I should have known because I can't sing and clap at the same time in worship, and I know many of you have the same problem because I sit next to you sometimes. (laughs) Um, Clapping and singing is hard, strumming and singing is really hard, and I just couldn't do it. So um, I decided calloused fingers, broken pinkies, can't multitask, it's not in my wheelhouse to play the ukulele. And I told my husband one day, I said, I'm over it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to learn. And he would kindly try to show me how to play the ukulele because, like I said, the guitar skills are transferable to the ukulele. And so uh, it turns out when somebody who's really good at music picks up the ukulele and does everything you cannot do, it's not always inspiring. Uh, And so I continued you to say, I do not want to do it. I'm over it. I just want to be done. And he kindly and gently, like usual, says to me, you know, Jenna, if you just practice a little bit at a time, you'll gradually get better. If you just do a little bit at a time, you practice every day, you'll get better and better, um, and it'll get easier. And I said, and this is very important, I said, 
I don't care. <laughs> I want to be good now. I don't want to have to practice. I, don't want, I want to be able to strum and be beautiful and everybody applauds me and I don't have to do the work to get there. I just want it to be done. And so my uh, ukulele, it hangs on the wall of our study at home, uh, makes it look like I play when really I only know four to seven chords, seven on a good day. And uh, I can't play the ukulele all that well. And sometimes I'll take it off the wall about once a month and I'll play it for about 10 minutes. Um, I did this actually like two days ago because I was giving this message and I was like, I'm gonna see, maybe I am magically good at the ukulele all of a sudden. I'm not, I'm still not good. So I take it off the wall, 10 minutes I play and then I realize my fingers hurt, my pinkies don't bend that way and I can't multitask. So with my ukulele, it's not, it's not that big of a deal. Um, I don't think the Lord has called me to play the ukulele for all of you, although I could have brought it out on stage for you this morning. Um, but all too often, I've, I've done the same thing with other things in my life. I've done the same thing with God. I've done the same thing with relationships. And we've been in this series called Incognito where um, we're talking about the importance of relationships and the importance of not leaving our identities concealed, of, of letting ourselves be known by God and others to live into what we've been made for. And in our tendency to remain incognito, we've, we've also been tempted to, to choose being incognito because it's hard work to be known. It's hard work to know others. It's hard work to be known by God and to know God. Now, when it comes to God, I think there are days that uh, we don't want to do the work. We want to skip the quiet time or skip the prayer um, because we're busy and we're tired and, and everything else screams louder. We, we long to, to arrive, right, having known God completely, having understood everything, um, becoming the people we long to be who don't have issues to work out anymore. Um, we're tempted to, to place our Bibles on our tables and say, yeah, I read that. I know him. When in reality, we've, we've managed to be incognito for quite some time. And when it comes to relationships, there are even more reasons not to do the work, to, to not check in with that person, to not extend group, to, or to not extend grace, to not go to that group, to not choose to serve somebody. Um, but instead, we, we huddle to ourselves and we just say, I don't want to. I don't want to do the work. I, I want peace. My life has other things I need to attend to. I have other stuff to worry about. I just don't want to. We're, we're sort of tempted to hang our ukuleles up on the wall, um, and we do that to say, yeah, I play that, where we, in relationships, we'll use social media and, and networking and grocery store hellos and texting to say, yeah, I know them. We're friends, I know them, when really we don't know people at all. And we're holding ourselves hostage, too. We're remaining unknown and incognito. And we're just not made for that. We're not made for the shiny, fun thing to grab our attention and move on. We're not made to distract ourselves with the things that have immediate gratification. We're not made for isolation or keeping our heads down. Or we're not made to choose the easy option. Like it's just going to be all figured out the next day. But we do know we're made for community. Throughout this series, we've learned that a community itself is rooted in the nature of God. He himself is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so he delights in himself, he ministers out of that community of himself, and he extends himself to us as a community. And so God created us for community because it reflects who he is. He doesn't create us in isolation. Uh, he creates us in community for community. Which means uh, we are created not only to be known by God and to know God, but to be known by people and to know people. 
God's entire mission in scripture uh, in the Bible happens through communities of people who declare who he is. So God, people, and his mission are not created to be concealed. If we want to live into that kind of identity, um, it actually takes work. It takes hard work. It takes intentionality. It means uh, taking the metaphorical ukulele off of the wall more than just once a month. So today, uh, to show you what it could look like to be um, the kind of people who resist the urge to be incognito um, and to live into the identity that God has given us, I want to show you a picture of one of the first communities that modeled community after Jesus had come and done his work on earth. Um, And this happens in the book of Acts. What you need to know about the book of Acts is that it's part two to the book of Luke. Uh, You might remember that we studied Luke in our Christmas series in December, and actually next weekend we're picking up a whole new series where we're going to walk through the book of Luke. And so Luke and Acts, while they seem like separate books in the Bible because they're displayed to us that way, are actually part one Luke, part two Acts. And Acts models what it looks like to start the first church post-Jesus. And Acts chapter two, which is where we're going to be today, jumps right into what the community would have looked like in a transition where where Jesus had come and he had said that um, while he lived and died and was resurrected, the the declaration that he left while he was here was that anybody and everybody could come to be a part of the kingdom of God. Anybody and everybody from all walks of life, everyone on the planet should have the opportunity to know Jesus. And Acts two is living in this new reality. And so one of the first things that we see from Acts 2 and and the church and that community there is that they center their lives on four things that matter. In verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So those are four things right there that they focus their lives on. One, they focus on um, and are devoted to the apostles' teaching. So that's everything the apostles had learned from Jesus while he was on earth, um, as well as the facts and the meaning um, of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And the majority of that information we actually find in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the Bible. That's why when you go to churches or um, you might hear from Christians, they say things like, let's just go back to the Gospel. Let's focus on the Gospel. Um, They were centered around that that message that Jesus had given while he was on earth. That's why churches are so passionate about coming back to the Gospel message, the central message that Jesus left. And that's exactly what the church in Acts did. So one, they focused on the apostles' teaching, which largely centered on Jesus. The second thing they were devoted to was fellowship, which for us can seem like just a meeting and hanging out or something like that. But the Greek word that's actually used for fellowship here um, is more than that. It meant sharing and community and partnership. Sometimes the word that they used for fellowship here was actually attached to the sharing of goods or the partnership in a business or an enterprise um, or important shared life and religious experiences. So the word implies community and intimacy and, um, more importantly, an interdependence. So this fellowship wasn't just about, um, I don't know, going to a party and and making sure you get to connect with all the people you wanted to connect to before you leave, or um, going to a party and making sure you're there long enough before you can leave. Um, These aren't just like moments of connection, but it's an integrated part of their life to do life with one another. This is a church community that relied on one another. Now, the third thing that they're devoted to is the breaking of bread. Um, Here, the breaking of bread is referring to the Lord's Supper or communion. Other parts of Acts, breaking of bread is actually about sharing a literal meal, but here it's about communion. 
And so they were committed to commemorating Jesus' life, death, and resurrection with one another, um, which I think is an important thing to name because it was an act of unity for this church, where um, it was a season where anyone and everyone could come and follow Jesus, and that was new. They would have had um, a million different ways that they were different and shouldn't have been in a church, but they relied on this act of communion to say, here are the things we're unified in. This is what we're unified in. I think it's particularly interesting when we live in a culture and a time when we actually define ourselves more by our differences, our different political beliefs, our religious affiliations, our different ethnicities and cultures, and the ways we've grown up. Um, we often define ourselves more on our differences than what we agree about. And what the church in Acts centered themselves on was saying, here's the thing that unifies us. Despite all the other things we disagree in, here is the thing um, that we can come together and acknowledge unifies us. And the fourth thing that they were committed to is prayer, which I think as Christians feels like kind of a gimme, like, well, okay, yeah, they're Christians, they're, com they're committed to prayer. But what's important is that these people don't just know about Jesus. Um, they don't just pay attention to the apostles' teaching. They don't just take communion and just fellowship with one another. They commune with the living God. They don't know, just know about Jesus, and they know Jesus. They've spent time with him personally. And if these four things are what the first church is marked by, we have to ask how closely our lives match up. You know, we can just, uh, we can brush it aside and we can say, um, this is a different time. Uh, life is different. We're busy. Um, but these people, they had kids. They had jobs. Um, they had relational tension. Uh, they were introverted and extroverted. They, um, they argued. They encountered hard things in their lives that they were working through. They had societal tensions um, that they had to make it through. And still, the community is marked by those four things. So if somebody looked at your life, at your community, uh, what would be the four things they would name? What is your life and your community marked by? Now, I want you to hear me say this. I'm not telling you to, to add a bunch of things to your life. I don't think that's how the Acts 2 community operated. But I am telling you that they chose the things that mattered. They oriented their lives around the things that mattered. They just didn't just add a bunch of good things on top of what they were already doing. They chose to center their lives around what mattered. Jesus' teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. But life is hard, right? Um, I know there are busy seasons of, of my life, harder, stressful seasons of my life that um, if I had to choose the four things my life was marked by, it would be Netflix and frozen pizza, ibuprofen, and early bedtimes, okay? And I, I know your seasons of stress and anxiety probably look different than that, um, but that's just how life works, right? Because life happens, and um, at the end of the day, frozen pizza, no matter how bad it is for you, is still really, really good, <laughs> So your seasons must look different, um, but when those seasons hit, we sort of ask the question of, okay, well, am I an awful Christian because of those seasons? Am I beyond grace because I, I chose those things? Well, of course not. Do we, as, as physical people, need seasons of coping and rest to dig into some hard things and to center in on our healing? Well, of course we do. But if I think about the best seasons of my life, the seasons that were marked by the most fruit um, and, and the times of the biggest transformation in my life and in others were the seasons that were marked by longer quiet times even when they didn't feel immediately gratifying. 
um, and choosing to have the quiet time even though I felt really busy or, or choosing to, to, to try a new style of prayer um, because I just felt like things were feeling kind of dry. The best seasons of my life were the moments that I chose to spend the extra hour hearing the rest of someone's story despite the fact that I had a huge to-do list. Um, the best seasons are the ones where um, I actually asked other people for help instead of pretending like I can do it all on my own and chose to live interde- interdependently. Those are the seasons of, of my life that I left feeling like I knew God better, I felt more known by God, and I knew people knew me better. I was less concealed, less incognito. Those are the seasons that transformed me and transformed the people around me. And I think the transformation that comes after um, our choices like this is, is true of the church in Acts too. The next verse lists that, um, that awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And so when it says here that um, awe had come, some translations actually uh, use the word fear there instead of awe. But because of this, the way the community was living, this awe and this fear um, was, was falling on the community and the city around them. And so this is a season of transformation that was being found in the people who were, who were doing these four things that mattered, but also the, the, the community around them. And so these wonders and signs, they aren't these mountaintop high spiritual moments Um, but a movement of change, a wave of transformation that enables the Acts 2 church to be be impacted themselves and to have an impact of, of society at large. It's because they choose the four things that matter that transformation comes in a wave to everyone around them. And so going on in Acts 2, um, we learn some other ways that the Acts community is connected. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So when it says here that um, the believers had all things in common, it, it doesn't actually mean that um, they all think exactly the same, they all live their lives exactly the same. Um, even though those two verses are on separate slides, those verses are very much connected. So they're not a bunch of like homogenous robots or something like that, just doing all the same thing all the time. Because those two verses are connected, it's saying they, um, they had all things in common because they shared with one another. It's not a statement of brainwash. It's actually a statement of unity for these people. And actually, I think it's a pretty profound example of, of stewardship where everyone in this Acts 2 community, they know that everything that they are and everything that they have has been given to them by God for the good of God's kingdom, which led to making hard choices like selling their belongings so that other people could have what they needed and lacked. It's not actually that different to some decisions that many of you made during our legacy series this fall. Um, To say, I will give that car or that ring or that motorcycle or that money or that time or my talents. Uh, those, Those actions that we took, it actually mirrors that first community and acts this first church in the way that the believers operated. The actions that were made here came out of choosing those things that mattered, the teaching and the fellowship, the communion and the prayer. Their lives were motivated um, by that, and because of it, it led to the kingdom of God expanding. It led to transformation of self and others. That's why we were so motivated about what legacy was showing us through the fall, was that we believed if we stewarded everything in our lives as a community, it would lead to the transformation of self and others. 
And I've alluded to some of this already, that this Acts community isn't some um, cool clique, um, but they are being transformed and transforming the cities around them. But what I want to show you in this next verse is that they have a kingdom impact for the people around them. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Because of all of this that they're doing, the Lord is adding to their number day by day. Um, And this isn't a statement about church growth. It's a statement about transformation, the wave of transformation that's coming through this community and the city throughout. And one of the things I really love about this part of the scripture is that phrase, day by day. Um, it's listed twice, um, and it's because it's, it's reflective of, of not, again, this big mountaintop moment, this big spiritual high. It's reflective of this consistency. And so one, day by day, they are consistent in their own lives, in their day-to-day things. It says they are consistent in the four that matter. And so this is where they talk about continuing to meet in the temple. They break bread. This time it means they're sharing meals. So they're opening up their homes for one another. Um, And they do it all with gladness and generosity. These are cheerful givers who are doing the good and hard work day by day. Um, Not just at some holiday when everyone comes over or some social gathering, but it's a consistent day-by-day thing. And because they are consistent day by day, uh, there is impact day by day. So more people continue to follow Jesus. People make the decision to follow their creator instead of the rest of creation. That fear and that awe is stirring people to make the decision um, to see that there's something more. There's something better. And so daily, people come forward to join this community of people and follow Jesus. Can you imagine if that happened here? Can you imagine if um, every time you went to a small group, I might get a call from a small group leader like every single week, and they'd call me and they'd say, hey, I told you about Dave. Um, He finally made the decision yesterday, and we would get to celebrate on the phone together. And then maybe the next week, they'd call me again, and they'd say, hey, remember Michelle? Like, she's been coming for a few weeks, and she's been asking really hard questions, and, you know, she's just been doing some real soul searching, and last night, she finally made the decision. And if that was normal, <laughs> that the, the most common thing I did was actually field phone calls of people telling me how the Lord added to their number day by day. Or can you imagine if our Facebook posts as a church, if you had, um, if you had trouble figuring out what the next event was going to be at our church because um, they were intermixed with all of these posts where we just say, hey, I just wanted to let you know, church, we had 10 people added to our number today. Let's, let's celebrate. Let's come alongside. Are there people that want to walk with them and disciple them through um, this new season of their life? And I don't want to make you think that 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 doesn't happen here, because it does. Every single weekend, people make a first-time decision or a recommitment to follow Jesus. And I do think that the I think that the church in Acts was was made to multiply quickly. Um, I think it was a season of of revival to build up the church in the first seasons after Jesus had left the earth. But also, I think God is still God. I think he can do it again, and I think he still calls us to the same kind of radical community, the same community that is capable of that kind of massive transformation where day by day we make choices, day by day, little by little, and day by day other people make decisions so that they can encounter the same transformation. Because choosing what matters and choosing to be known and to help others be seen and known so that all might see and know their creator, that's the whole point, right? Contrary to what uh, the world tells us, the point isn't what college you get into or what trade you master or what person you marry, if you marry, what vacation you take, what grades you get. 
The point has always been about following Jesus and choosing a life that transforms you and everything around you to be the people we were made to be. Now, if you're um, a little bit of a cynic like I am, I tend to be a little bit cynical about things, um, you might look at the community in Acts and say, um, that's, that's a utopia. Um, that's unachievable. Uh, this is storybook level kind of stuff. Um, it's not replicable. People are messy. Uh, people are busy. And that's just not the way the world works anymore. And on one hand, I think you're right. Um, I think we navigate new and different and, in some cases, more complex things than the church in Acts had to navigate. Um, And yes, uh, people are kind of a hot mess. I don't know if you've noticed. But in fact, the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament is basically a bunch of letters uh, to churches trying to help them get over their mess and to be unified so that they can be this kind of community in Acts too. Um, And they were not picture-perfect communities, okay? If you look at the people who planted some of these first churches, they had no business leading churches together. It did not make sense. It shouldn't have made sense. It shouldn't have worked. But it did because they chose what mattered and they followed the power of the Holy Spirit. And the thing is, is I think sometimes we think about community and we think about relationships and how God has chosen people for his grand story of spreading his mission throughout the entire world. And we think like that's plan B or something. Like God could have chosen something better, but instead he chose all the messy, sinful people. But it's not. Like it's plan A. It has always been God's plan that his mission, his word, would would happen through the transformation of people and those communities of people would be sent through the entire world so that all people might know him. And so despite the odds of how messy people are and how messy the people of the New Testament were planting churches, um, they are God's design for moving his mission forward after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so the fact that you are here today is actually proof that it works because somehow the churches in the New Testament, they followed the principles of this first church in Acts. They made it so that you can know Jesus today and sit in front of me. And so this isn't a utopia. Like, this is, this is a community of people who chose to invest in what matters, in life and ministry with one another for the sake of the gospel, regardless of their differences. And now, I wouldn't stand up here and preach this to you if I didn't believe it, or I wouldn't stand up here and preach this to you if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. Um, a while back when I was working with college students, about six years ago, I was working with college ministry at UW-Eau Claire, um, and I worked with a group of Bible study leaders who all lived in one of the dorms on campus called Towers, which has since been remodeled and is called something different, but everybody still calls it Towers. So Towers, if you don't know, is known for parties. It was known for the most stomach pumps on homecoming weekend. Um, it was known for general havoc. Um, and the other thing it was known for it was actually super hard to find community in Towers because um, there were so many people people that you just couldn't figure out who to get to know. And so I had about eight to ten leaders um, who were going to lead about five different Bible studies. And um, these people had, <laughs> they had no business being together. Like, I don't think they would have been friends in, in a different universe, okay? So it was men and women, introverts and extroverts. I had cool girls and nerdy boys and shy women and then these bros who would center meeting around me around their, um, they would schedule things around their lifting schedule, <laughs> which I just had never heard of. And so this whole group of people who had different majors like um, social work and education and Spanish and accounting and environmental public health, and they were supposed to work together to reach 10 floors of college students at this dorm. 
And so that first year, they did, they did so many things that actually modeled what um, the Acts 2 church teaches us. Uh, they planned community events that, um, so that the different Bible studies, they could meet one another uh, so that people could feel seen and known. And so when they walked through the halls, they would see people that they were connected to. They didn't have to be anonymous or incognito. Um, they made hard choices with their schedules. They opted to have um, a quiet time instead of taking a nap. Um, or they opted to go to sleep earlier instead of watching Netflix so that they didn't have to take that nap the next day. Um, they asked hard questions about scripture, like how to properly interpret Genesis, or if Jesus was really serious when he said, give all your stuff to the poor. Um, they asked if our group meetings could be filled with learning new spiritual disciplines in prayer, and then they'd later try them on their own. They learned how to invite not just Christians to their small groups, but non-Christians to their studies. Um, one girl, actually, uh, she went to Savers one day, and she, brought, she bought a bread maker to bring back, and she told me this is how she was going to get non-Christians to come to her study. And I was like, cool. <laughs> you try that. Sounds good. Um, but actually, one evening, um, she would strategically make bread, and so it was a Friday night that she decided she was going to make bread, and so the smell wafted through the whole dorm. So by the time some of the women on her floor came back after spending time at the bars, they smelled her bread and came to her room. And I was like, I don't know if we should be luring women into your room who are <laughs> inebriated, but we'll see what happens, right? And so she, uh, these women come to her room. They eat this bread with her. Some of them start like, like sobbing on her futon, um, telling, them, telling her how their life is just, just not going well. Um, they're sobering up on her homemade bread. Um, and one of those girls eventually came to her Bible study, and then they asked if they could come to church with her the following weekend. She literally broke bread with these people, and they came to meet Jesus. This community of people, they lived their lives in such a way that reflected the Acts 2 community. And so they were, they were transformed. These leaders were transformed. And they looked more like Jesus, but so did the people around them. And so after one year, they had 60 people involved in their Bible studies. Over several years, we actually noticed that some of the culture in the dorm started to change. And now one of the tricky things about college ministry is that people keep graduating and you keep getting new people. And so it's actually really hard to change culture. And so don't get me wrong, students, college students still like to party. There's still issues in dorms and things like that. But after a while, we started noticing that um, the stomach pumping on homecoming weekend started to decrease, and, and more Christian RAs were hired. And so uh, there were RAs that were doing community different than some of the other ones. Um, and Tower started to become a place of community. It was not a perfect utopia, um, but they chose what mattered, and it changed lives. And I think our church can have similar experiences. I think um, we can make choices, but that's the thing. It takes hard work. It takes the work of centering your life around what matters. It means we can't just leave our Bibles on our table, and we can't just mention that we went to church on Sunday. We can't just um, leave our ukuleles on the wall and think that we'll pick them up and all of a sudden be transformed. And this isn't just a short-term right now kind of thing. We already know that we were made for community in the beginning. We're made for community right now. And community is our final destination. And we read in the book of Revelation that um, at, the end, at the end, we're all going to be together. Every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to be in community together, worshiping together. And I'm pretty sure that the four things that matter from the community in Acts are going to be the same thing we're going to do one day when we're all with Jesus. And so whatever you're doing now in community, you're not going to get rid of it. You're preparing yourself for the community you're going to be in for the rest of your life. 
But we have to make strategic choices uh, to choose to be known instead of incognito, to choose to know God instead of being incognito from God. We have to come back to the four things that matter, the teachings of Jesus, the fellowship, the communion, and prayer. And so what is your life marked by? What do you need to take off the wall and actually practice? For some of us, um, this might actually feel a little bit daunting. Like um, We might feel like we need help in all four of those categories, but um, that's the hard work. And and for some of us, um, we're in a deep season of pain or hardship, and so to say do the hard work just can feel callous. Uh, many of us have actually been wounded by others when we've chosen to, to put ourselves out there to not be incognito so that people can know us. Um, and we've been wounded by doing that. And, and like Paul talked to us about a couple of weeks ago, we have real relational capacities. We're not made to be best friends with everybody on the planet. And so my encouragement to you is that wherever you are, wherever you're at, um, whatever amount of pain or hardship you're facing, what is the one thing you can do to help orient your life to the things that matter? For some of you, you, you have the capacity to um, take up the ukulele and spend an hour a day practicing, and that's great. Um, others of you, you're not sure where you even stored your ukulele, and so you just need to find it, okay? And, and we're going to hold on to that wisdom that my husband gave me, that if we just do a little bit every day, if we would just go day by day, we will see the fruit. And it acts to that community. They didn't, they didn't add those four things on top of everything else they were already doing and just, just call it good. They made hard choices about their lives so that it could be oriented around those four things. And so um, there are various ways that you can actually apply these four things to your life. Um, but I want to give you some concrete next steps that we um, provide here at Jacob's Well for you. The first thing I want to invite you into is the opportunity to serve. You might remember um, Paul talking about this a, a little bit last weekend. All you have to do to serve is to text JWSERVE to that number. Um, but the thing that I continue to be struck by with the Acts 2 community is that they stewarded their whole lives to serve one another. Um, they, uh, here at Jacob's Well, we have opportunities to steward your time and your talents around here for the sake of our community, and all you have to do is take your phone out and text this number, and someone will get in touch with you. You just text your phone, your name after it replies back to you. And so now in this moment, I'm going to say a bunch of things that aren't the main point, so you don't have to feel like you have to listen to me so that you have the capacity to take your phone out of your pocket and text the number. And maybe you feel like you're not going to take your phone out to text the number, but maybe you'll take your phone out so that the person next to you can take their phone out. Do you see what I'm doing here? I'm giving you all the space to take out your phone right now and text the number. And maybe even if you take out your phone, you're not going to text this number or something like this, but you're going to take out your phone and text your mom or your kid because that's always a good thing to do. So I've given you the space to take out your phone and to text the number and to get plugged into serving. And the reason we do this is because the Acts 2 community stewarded everything they had for the sake of their community, for the sake of the kingdom of God, so that people could know Jesus. And we serve around here for the exact same reason, so that people can come through our doors and they can know Jesus. And turns out when we serve, it's actually a really Jesus-like thing to do. And so we look more like Jesus. We're more known by God. And when we serve, we get to know Jesus too. And so join a serve team. Be a part of a community that stewards your time and talents for the kingdom of God. The second thing I want to invite you into is to joining a group. This is the last weekend of our group's launch. Um, and so this is the time that you want to sign up because all of our groups are starting. Um, you, can, you can do this by grabbing a group's guide at the Connection Center. And then all of our signups happen online on our website. Um, but if you grab that group's guide, it'll give you a chance to peruse some of the options. 
Because uh, when you join a group, you get to do um, discovering God in community. You get to do the fellowship thing. Um, it doesn't mean that these people have to be like your best friends for the rest of your life or something like that. You might even decide that you'll join a group and you'll do the hard thing of trying a new group next time around. Um, but joining the group is a way that you can get community with people who are going dis- to discover God with you. Uh, my husband and I have been leading a group for the last five years, um, and it hasn't always been easy. Uh, with couples in their 20s and 30s, turns out somebody's always moving and somebody's always having a kid. And so you just have a lot of transition. It's a very permeable community based on um, people coming and going. And we just work really hard to meet every single week um, or sometimes every other week or in the hard seasons, it's like a once a month kind of thing, Okay. Um, But we come together to navigate who Jesus is and what it means for our lives. And our group isn't the same that it was five years ago. We don't all agree on everything. We have vastly different jobs and schedules. Some people have kids. Some people just have dogs. There's one weird couple that just has cats. That's us. Um, And so our group is super diverse. But um, every time uh, we get together, we can't all make it every week. It's actually pretty rare that we're all there. But every time it gets better and better because we have people that we can call when a crisis hits. Um, Even if we only see each other a couple times a month, we get to see people on the weekends um, that we navigate life with, not just people who look sort of familiar and you think you know them. Um, And any time it gets hard or we get busy, um, we can continue to come back to that that Acts 2 vision of community, of of what I believe our group is slowly becoming. And I pray that would have an impact not just on us, but on each of the communities that everybody in our group is a part of. That's what joining a group does. And maybe for you, joining a group um, feels like uh, too daunting of a commitment right now. And so I want to invite you to something called JW Grow, which is just every Tuesday night. It's just one class at a time. You can sign up for individually on our website. Um, When you come to JW Grow, you can learn about something topical. The room is set up in such a way that it's around tables, so you don't have these rows like in here where the only people you can see are is me, <laughs> but you can sit around a table and you can say hi to the person across from you and you can learn about a specific topic that interests you. And so it's a great way to get your feet wet if you're not ready for the commitment and you can sign up for that and see all of the topics online on our website. Now here's the deal. I don't think that you're going to join a group and your whole life is going to change. And I don't think that you're going to have a quiet time tomorrow and um, suddenly everything in your life is going to get better. I don't expect that. I think God is big and I think he's capable, but that's not my expectation. What I do expect is that God will honor the moments that we take and the choices that we make and, and the actions that we take to live into this design for community that he's made for us. And after a while, I think we'll see the ways that we're being transformed through it and the ways that the people around us have been transformed because we're doing the hard work of practicing, choosing what matters. And, and we aren't just people who leave our Bibles on the table and say, I know him, I, I read that. Because if we orient our lives around these things that matter, I I think we'd see our lives change, but I also think that we'd see um, everything else in the coming weeks and months and years change around us. So our workplaces and our families and our government and the Chippewa Valley, I think we'd see it all transform bit by bit because of the small choices we make day by day. When a community as large as ours, think of how many people attend Jacob's Well. When a community as large as ours makes the choice to steward our time and our relationships to follow Jesus' teaching, to learn in community, to live a life filled with prayer, when we make those choices, that's the stuff that makes waves and it changes the way we live and act in the community. That's the stuff that creates a ripple effect throughout the entire community. Would we be a church that causes that kind of effect?
Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the good gift of community. And thank you especially for the good gift of community on the days when it feels hard or complicated or messy. And I, um, I ask more than directing our actions um, this week and helping us take those little steps that we need to take um, to look more like you or to center our lives on you. I ask that you would give us the eyes to see the way you are transforming us. Um, and I ask that you would give us the eyes to see the way that um, the way you're transforming us is transforming the communities around us. Um, God, would you help us to see that ripple effect so that that we can um, be motivated by that change to continue to plod day by day, to continue to make the hard choices day by day. Um, God, would we be a community that is marked by the consistency of our, our community and the consistency of the days we spend with you. In Jesus' name, amen.